Mark, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 8, and can be found in the Pew Bible on page 1584. Glory to you, O Lord. Indeed, our gospel this morning comes from St. Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Mark records, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I titled my sermon, which is kind of unusual for me to do, as many of you know, this morning, and um, it's not an original title. I actually borrowed it from somebody, um, this guy that um, uh, belongs or did belong to a little bitty bitty church down by a mountain, down in Lake Forest, up on a hill. You might have heard of it, Saddleback, something. <laughs> and this uh, pastor, Lee Strobel, wrote, a case for Christ, and so that's what I'm going to call this morning's sermon, rather, proclamation, proclamation, case for Christ. He has risen. He is risen we make that acclamation each year at Easter. Uh, why? What does it matter? Well, let me tell you, it matters. It's the whole enchilada, as they say, you know. This is the most important part of the gospel. And Paul points that out. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If that is not true, if he did not die, if he was not buried, if he did not raise from the dead on the third day, this is all for naught. 
That is essential. So we have to come to an agreement. Either Jesus was or he was not. Either he lived or he did not. We have over here a good book. It's a great book. It's the Holy Bible. Either the Bible is true or it is not. Either he died like he said or he did not. We have to come to the agreement that he did. This book is true. And it happened exactly as it is recorded. This isn't a book of stories. This is a book of historical facts. Historical accounts. All of this can be corroborated. Just like if we were doing an investigation. All of this can be corroborated. Let's talk about what Paul says. Well, first of all, let me do this. There was a point in time uh, where the uh, Corinthians were so influenced by the Greeks and outside sources that, that the resurrection was kind of not that important. And that's why Paul wrote that letter to them that, that Jackie read this morning. He, he, he started it with, as I had preached to you before, he reminded them of the essential parts of the gospel good news. But in this world, there are people today that um, they affirm that Jesus was a great prophet. Those are the followers of Islam. Yeah, he was a great prophet, but he wasn't the son of God, and he certainly did not raise from the dead. That's what they believe. There are people that uh, called rationalists that regard the story, not the factual events, the story of Jesus' resurrection is a fairy tale. Some people will go, hey, this is just a book of fairy tales, and if you believe this, you are mentally ill. Yeah, you know, I, hey, color me mentally ill then, guys, but we'll get there in a minute. There are some liberal teachers in liberal churches that teach that Jesus did not rise physically, but only spiritually. I don't know what that means. Do you? What does it mean to rise spiritually? Uh, I don't know. But all of those people deny the significance of Jesus' resurrection. And the fact is, is that there was an empty tomb and the living body of Jesus was and came out of that tomb and he, he showed himself to people. The fact of the resurrection is important. It's essential to our faith. And Paul points that out, where he says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel in which I preach to you. Paul is restating that, it, that this isn't the first time you've heard this. And what I've told you before is true. And you need to grasp and hold on to every bit of it. In fact, Paul goes on uh, later to say, if anyone, even myself, preaches a gospel other than the one that I have preached to you faithfully, let him be accursed. That means let him be damned. Let him go straight to hell. That's how essential it is. In this church, by the Lutheran faith, we preach Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. It's as simple as our little ones here. Hey, Sam, how are you doing, buddy? The Jesus loves me, this I know, 
for the Bible, and my mom, told me so. And how much do I really need to know? Simplistic, but that's the essential of the, of the gospel. What he did when he was up there pinned to that cross, it wasn't nails that held him there, it was his love for you. And we know that because the Bible and our moms and our dads and your pastor tell you so. And that is enough. But what gets in the way, and Paul was uh, telling these people to stay into the simple part and the simple nature of the gospel. People, humans, want to look at all of the different things. We want to parse through the entire Bible because we have this need to understand everything. And here's the key. We won't ever understand everything about God. If we could, he wouldn't be much of a God. And so then we get caught up in things that don't really matter. It's called adiaphora, adiaphora. It means majoring in minor things. Like, my goodness, now we have this perfectly done right now, but what if this was purple instead of white today? We have white because of the purity of Christ. But what if it was purple? Are we in trouble of salvation? No. We have, we have instances where uh, some uh, churches will not baptize a baby. You have to be an adult. Um, is that a salvation issue? Does that mean that, that everything is for naught? I mean, can you, we, we, we hear on that Friday that, that Jesus was next to two uh, sinners. One was repentant, but was he baptized? No. Did he go to heaven? Yes. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, you'll be with me today in paradise. So as men, we take, we have the, the beautiful simplicity of the cross, Christ and him crucified, rose, risen from the dead, and we need to put some different stuff into it to make sure that it is sophisticated enough. I'm here to say don't do that, and Paul does too. The gospel, the simple gospel, is that he rose from the dead. And, and, and the good news about that is that uh, it didn't take you or me any effort for that. By his stripes, by his pain, by his death, we are victorious. So that's the story, that's the historical account of this Sunday. And that's why the resurrection matters. Now oftentimes as Christians, we want to talk about the gifts. And we want to talk about the healing and the benefits and all these things. Now, I heard a, a song the other day, and, and these are good points, and this is where we're going to go with this sermon right now. Don't tell me about the healing. Tell me about the healer. Don't tell me about the saving. Tell me about the Savior. Don't tell me about the kingdom. Tell me about the king. Well, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you who he was. We know that he was born of a Virgin Mary. We know that story. We hear it every year at Christmas time, and now that this all came about. We know that by his, uh, uh, his walk and his life, that around 30 years old, 
he was baptized. Now, how in the world do we know that? Well, when he was born, it was during the time of Herod. And so, and then there was a, a census that was taken. And then Herod wanted to have all the two-year-old little boys uh, that were born of uh, the Israelites to be murdered. Okay, And so we have historical artifacts, historical accounts, historical documents that put Herod at a certain point in time and so then we can put Jesus in there and then we extrapolate how much time before he was baptized by John the Baptist and he became uh, he was a preacher a, a rabbi Jewish custom meant that you weren't a rabbi before you were 30 years old we know that his ministry lasted a certain amount of time so we can fudge the numbers a little bit and say Jesus Christ died on the cross when he was a little over 33 years old, short of 34 years old. That's, that's pretty close. So he's 34. He's a young man in his prime. A strong man. He was a carpenter. We hear stories that he, that he flushed out the synagogue because they were trading carelessly. They were trading. They were... They were exchanging money at, at usury rates. They had animals in there for sale because, my goodness, you wouldn't want to bring the wrong offering there. And sorry, this one's a little more blemish, but I can sell you this one for that much. And so he cleared them out. He tore up those tables, threw them around. These weren't card tables. These were big tables. Jesus was not a wimpy guy. Jesus is our high priest. We talked about this earlier in the week on Good Friday. People often wonder, why do you call Good Friday? Does anyone ever ask that question? Raise your hand. You can do that. Why do they call it Good Friday? I don't know. Yeah, you know, what's good about it? He died, right? Well, here's the simple thing. Let's just say you and you and you and you, everyone in here was sentenced to die. <laughs> but I didn't do anything. Yeah, neither did he. Okay, so let's just say this, that you were sentenced to die and Jesus says, guess what? I'll hang from the tree for you. How would that make you feel? Good. <laughs> Have a nice day. Because that's as simple as it is. It's good because he took my place and your place. You know, people sometimes say, why do horrible things happen to good people? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever felt that about yourself? Let me just, <laughs> including myself here, that only happened once. There was only one truly good person that had a horrible thing happen to him, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think it's good that he did that for us. We have a Jesus, a young man, at his prime, that knows what it's like to be hungry, thirsty, cold, dirty, and tired. Some of you have heard this. He knows these basic things that you need and that I need. We have a savior, a healer, a king that understands what it's like to be misunderstood, marginalized, insulted, and defamed. Has any of you ever felt that way? He knows what it feels like. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, abandoned by his own friends. Have you ever felt that way? Have you been betrayed before? Have you felt misunderstood? 
when you were all alone and you looked around for support, was there maybe nobody there? He knows. He's experienced it. He knows physical pain. Like scourging. I won't go into detail because we've got little ones here, but it's nasty. There's a lot of tearing. A lot of pain. When they whipped our Lord. He knows what it's like to be beaten. Some of you played sports. Some of you have taken a hit. Can you imagine being taken a hit over and 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 over? You can't catch your breath. Can you imagine having a bag put over your head and somebody punch you right in the chops and say, hey, prophesize who hit you just now? That's insulting and it hurt. Can you imagine what it's like to have thorns put into your skull? They made a mockery of the crown that he's the king and they wired it up and they put it on there and then they tapped it in to his skull can you imagine how much pain that is I mean I bumped my head I used to do that a lot when I was a little kid it might explain something to y'all but I got scars all over the place I you know can you imagine how much that hurt we got a we got a king a savior and a healer that's experienced everything we have and a whole lot more. He knows what the pain is like to have nails put through his hands and through his feet. And he knows what it's like to be pinned to that cross, gasping for breath, going down, coming up to get a breath, going down. In fact, the description of him was that he was beat so bad you couldn't even really tell it was a man. Are you beginning to see who Jesus is and how he relates to you? Anything that we go through, yes, it grieves the Lord. Yes, it grieves us and those that love us, but it really grieves Jesus. But he's been there and he knows, and so he's somebody that you can trust. He's somebody that you can go to that understands, and he isn't saying, oh, it's okay, it'll go by, you'll be fine. That's not how he talks. But if he did, it would still be true, right? I mean, our moms always go, oh, you'll be fine. Didn't you just love it when you were a little kid and mom would kiss the hurt away? I miss it. I'm 53 years old. I wish my mom was here. <laughs> I could use her. Mamas, you, you got a lot of power. Dads, you do too. But he can say that, and it's true, and we can believe him. Why? He's been there and done that. Got the t-shirt, right? He knows what it's like to die. He knows everything about you and me and what we've been through and what we're going to go through. And as I said on Friday, and that's good, to have a Savior like that, a King like that, and a healer like that. He gets it. And yet, unlike us, he has this incredible grace that he pours out upon all of us, all who call on his name. Have you ever um, lent somebody money and they didn't pay you back? Whoa, where are you going with this? Have you? I mean, has anyone ever, you know, somebody made a promise and they didn't keep it? How about that? That might be better, but for me, it's, it's money. 
And it could be 10 bucks, right? And then I see that guy, it's like, yeah, you know, like 30 years ago, dude. I see you on Facebook, man. I mean, did you forget? I didn't. But, but Jesus doesn't work that way. His grace, his love for you, even while we were still yet sinners, is enough that he says, hey, come to me. I love you. Jesus also would say this. I mean, how's your life going right now? Are you things falling apart? This is another thing we're working on, but we're going to carry this through the whole year. Oh, God, please, Pastor, can't come up with something new. No. Are things falling apart in your world right now, or have you ever had something break? Wheel come off, right? Oh, my gosh, the world's falling apart. Oh, me, oh. You know, nobody understands this. I am hurting. Jesus would say, yeah, my grace is sufficient for you, and guess what? They're not falling apart. They are falling into place, and I prove that. As we celebrate today, he is risen. He's risen indeed. He's proven it. That as things look like they were falling apart, how much worse can it get? You're pinned to a tree, you've been beaten up, you've been scorched, and then they poke you with a spear again just to make sure you really are dead. People go, wow, things really fell apart for Jesus. But on the third day, he comes out of that, that tomb, and kids... What is the first words that Jesus said when he popped out? Ta-da! No, they weren't, but here I am. It's true. They're not falling apart. They're falling into place. In fact, they're falling so into place that even though you haven't died yet, when you do, you will be resurrected in a resurrection like mine. That's my promise. What promises did Jesus keep? Yes, he does. All right, Pastor Ken, you're getting out of breath and you need to wind it up. Well, here it is. Jesus' victory over sin is the reason that you and I can stand before the judgment of God forgiven and righteous. Proclamation. Truth. Jesus' victory over sin and death is the means of our salvation from sin and death. Simple proclamation. If his resurrection didn't happen, then all this doesn't matter. But Paul affirms to us from the case for Christ that not only was he seen by his closest associates, at one point in time he was seen by 500 people or more. And as good inspectors, as good investigators, all of those people, or many of those people, were still alive when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. They could have been interviewed. I mean, they knew. There were people alive. Yeah, I saw them. Yeah, I heard them. Yeah, it really happened. You can take that to the bank. The last part about this is just to, to tie it up. The disciples... All but one died painful deaths to keep a secret. Is anyone here able to keep a secret? Does anyone have a problem keeping a secret? You know, people will die for something they believe in, but they won't die for a lie. 
And all of those disciples, except for one, John, died a martyr's death. If it were today, and we see it today, they would have turned state's evidence. They would have said, hey, for a shorter sentence, let me show you where the body is. Why didn't they do it? Because there was no body. They saw him. I want you to take comfort in that. The case of Christ has already been made. Either you believe it or you don't. And he's not going to drag you into heaven going, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. That's not the way he works. But he invites you and I invite you and this church invites you and the gospel invites you. Come and see. In the name of Jesus, amen.